so I'm getting a lot of mad pop-ups because I've downloaded a lot of crazy software to deal with artwork over the years. (laughs) (laughs) And of course now Google Chrome. Yeah, I mean, yeah. (laughs) I'm sure Google wouldn't do random pop-ups. Google are good people. Yeah, their company motto is don't be evil, so they could never be evil. Yeah, but I I noticed it was don't be evil and it wasn't be good. (laughs) We could be neutral. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just like, where do you draw the line of evil? Is stealing candy from a baby evil or is it just nasty? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean, they do pass along dissident names to the Chinese government. (laughs) But is that, again, is that evil or is it just morally questionable? It's lawful. It's lawful, yeah. There you go. The lawful neutral. We're going to do what the The law demands. The D&D alignment system comes to our rescue again. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser-known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with... This story begins in the Jacobean era. And you have three words, which are Mm -hmm. death, litigation, and poetry. Oh. Is it Christopher Marlowe? No, no. (laughs) Unfortunately not. Good. <laughs> oh, okay. Froster. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad you're happy about that. Well, actually, we're going to 1609. And we're going okay. to Yorkshire because Thomas Braithwaite Sr., he had a okay. problem. Go on. He had two sons, and they were both massive disappointments. <laughs> His younger son, Richard, had gone to London to study law in order to become a respectable gentleman. However, mm. he was best known as the author of a book on the laws of social drinking... And he fancied himself a poet rather than a lawyer. Uh, So he became a useless dilettante. Well, you can imagine somebody who has some kind of... You poet, you don't want them to be somebody who could also be a lawyer. You want them to have more (laughs) of a romantic streak than that, probably. It it kind of suggests the idea that he's he's going to be pumping out a lot of mechanical rote poetry. (laughs) All I can hear in the background is your wife talking to your new kitten, and it's brilliant... Uh, yeah, so, I, I, I will go and halt. If you just give me ten seconds, I'm going to go and close a door. Your turn. Fantastic. Oh, um, I feel so bad. It's like I'm sort of shaming you guys for having a new kitten. No, it's perfectly appropriate. What we need to do is be quiet and calm with the kitten so it gets used to our presence. What Kaylee's doing is poking it. Yeah, but you always do with a new toy. You have to play with it. It's not a toy. Well. It's, a it's a free man. <laughs> it will vote. I am not a number, and so on. Oh, yes. The Prisoner. A good show. So Insane. Insane show. Anyway, so we've got dilettante useless son number one. Richard. writing Writing mechanical law poetry. Well, Richard admitted, and these are his own words, that he held nothing so likely to make me known in the world or admired in it as to be debauched and to purchase a parasite's praise by my riot. So basically he wanted to be a rock and roll star. Before there was rock and yeah, roll. Yeah, he wanted groupies. He wanted to be king of the dung heap. Do you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm almost like, you know... I mean, we all know that you can't choose to do that. It's sort of a life that you're called to. Mm-hmm. Like the, Ro- the Rolling Stones didn't choose to be debauched rock and rollers. It's just like they fell into it. Like You, you can't aim for it it happens to you as a result of what you do but like 
if he'd just managed to be born like 30 years later, he could have rolled straight through Charles II's era when like that was a valid lifestyle option. <laughs> You're saying he was brought, born in the wrong era? Yeah, basically. I mean, anyone who wanted to be a debauched loser should have been born in Charles II's era because like, it was perfectly acceptable to roll up to London. Like, You had like a one in five chance of the king drinking in any given pub on any given day. <laughs> you could bump into him and be like, all right, king, let's let's be pals. And he'd be like, all right. And then that was it. You, you were set for life being a drunk. <laughs> but it's all right with Richard, I think, because he's the younger son and you always expect... Yeah, you know, the air, younger son air has and a, air and a spare, isn't it? Air he is a spare. spare. So mm-hmm. the older son, Thomas mm-hmm. Junior. So he'd even been given the you know dad's name. Yeah, he was even worse. <laughs> uh, he he got himself into debt quite often. He was quite an aggressive person, and he'd even stoop so low as to steal a plate from the family home in Burnshead near Kendal. He sounds so, like the Donald Trump of Yorkshire. Yeah, so he'd he'd started stealing from his own dad, basically. Hmm. Uh, and Thomas Senior, he'd had enough of both of them. And he changed his will to ensure that neither son would inherit and his nice. lands would instead go to his wife, Dorothy. Bold. She could, if she so chose, provide the boys with an allowance. Hmm. But she was going to make sure that this was on the proviso that they behaved. Behaved as defined by yeah. her, I assume. Yeah. But even after she died... <laughs> <laughs> the estate would skip Thomas and pass directly to the younger son, Richard. That's how bad Thomas was. His dad had thought, even though my younger son is a waster who wants to be a poet in London, I'd still rather he had the money than you. Mm. I mean, at least, I suppose the thing the thing for a good Yorkshireman is it's all happening far away. You know what I mean? Like, like your loser son, your loser angry son is right there. If you give him all the money, then it, like all, all the people who've survived you will be judging you from oh, beyond yeah. the grave. Whereas <clears throat> if you give your loser son in London all the money... People can, can just say, oh, he's a big wig in London. Yeah, yeah, they don't know what's going on, <laughs> especially in the 1600s. You know, we're not talking about, you know, they're not getting Facebook updates, are they? <laughs> Last I heard, he went to London to study law. Well, I'm sure he's doing well. That sounds reasonable. And yeah, exactly, exactly. To be... To be fair, though, he at least had a daughter called Agnes, who had married a sensible man by the name of Thomas Lampley. And they never thought once about giving them anything. <laughs> no. Well, he was another. He was from another noble northern family who resided near Cockermouth in Ambleside. Oh, Cockermouth. Yeah. Yep. I know that place well. Well, I don't, but you do. <laughs> uh, well, Jack lives there, pretty mm-hmm. much. Uh, Thomas Senior died in 1610, and the brothers, right. <laughs> because this is my favourite bit, then learned about the contents of the will. So he hadn't told them that he'd disinherited them. Oh, classic move. This led to a feud which lasted an entire year before Dorothy was able to restore the peace with the two sons. You don't have to restore peace. It's it's a it's a will. Like especially back in the 1600s, you couldn't challenge it. It was just like this is what's happening. You don't have to like it. Just go away. I think there was a lot of negotiation about how how high they could get their allowances to go and how good they had to be in order to get them. So it took a year for them to finally settle on an amount and a level of just. General mor- like, morality. The negotiations of that must have been fantastic. So, how many stabbings per year? No, none. That's unacceptable. <laughs> it's, it's funny you should mention stabbings. Uh, by this time, Richard had given up on law to poet full time. 
He dedicated <laughs> stable, stable career. Well, well known for its many money-making opportunities. Well, he dedicated his newest book, The Golden Fleece, to his brother and their restored relationship <laughs> because they'd had a falling out as well. Because oh, Thomas course. was convinced that Richard had had forced his father to, you know, change the will in his favour. Right. However, the the book of poetry also mm. contained the following couplet. Let not mishap deprive you of that hope which yields some relish to your discontent. And this was referencing the fact that his brother, his mm. older brother, mm-hmm. had just been arrested for murder. I, I, I'm sorry, Atley. I'm okay with English, but I don't really know what that first couplet meant. So let not... Let not so, mishap, so mm-hmm. mishap, the murder you committed, right. deprive you of that hope which yields some relish to your discontent. So don't worry about the murder. I'm sure that it'll all, blow it'll all over. work out, essentially, right. is oh, what he was saying. Right. Okay, so he's, try- he's trying to say something nice about his brother kind of thing. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just funny that he mentioned the stabbings, because oh, right, okay. in <laughs> August 1611, Thomas had a disagreement with the servant of the Earl of Salisbury, called Patrick Manning. He challenged the servant to a duel and stabbed him in the arm. Wasn't that legal, though? What, challenging someone to a duel? Yeah. And, well, no, duels were never technically legal. And also, techni- you know, you wouldn't challenge someone to a duel and then immediately stab them. Oh, right. So it, it wasn't so much a, a gentlemanly thing. It was a dick move. Yeah. And also, Patrick Manning was a servant, so he wasn't likely to be carrying a sword on him. Uh, just to, oh yeah, of course they're minor nobles, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, so he's just a swaggering bully, right? yeah. Okay, he he it, basically it. stabbed a guy, and then <laughs> I'm guessing <Justified>. when <laughs> so, when they came to take him away, he went. It was a duel. So it's the 17th century equivalent of look out, he's got a knife. Yeah, <laughs> and then shooting him several times. Yes, I believe traditionally you shoot them first, then say look out, he's got a knife. <laughs> but you'd have to ask an American policeman about that. That's more their thing. So uh, Thomas was in Carlisle Gallo. And in 1610, murder was definitely a capital offence. The Along family, with everything else, <laughs> the family got together to decide what to do. Because I still let him swing. Well, you'd think they'd just go. This, this is a guy who's been trouble since the day he was born. Hmm. He's caught bang to rights. Hmm. Yeah, Win-win. Rule, rule of law is some somewhat optional, <laughs> well, depending it, on how high up the noble tree you go. It was the son-in-law, Thomas Lampley, hmm. who suggested that they ask his little brother, Anthony, to seek a pardon from the king. Okay. Why Anthony? Is Anthony, like, in with the king or something? I, c- I can't hear you at the moment. Oh, sorry. You're oh, moving stuff around. Is, that, is Anthony in with the king or with, with court or Well, Anthony <laughs> was living in London and he was working for Robert Cecil. Who just oh, so as happened, in Lord Cecil. Well, he just so happened to be the Earl of Salisbury. So <laughs> he was working for the guy whose ster- servant had been stabbed. Oh, if enough. he could convince Robert Cecil to speak on Thomas's behalf, mm. maybe he could convince the king to offer a pardon. Yeah. So the family issued a bond of £1,000, valid <sighs> until January 1612. I know, a lot of money in those days. Uh, to help grease the wheels of justice. <laughs> so basically they said to Anthony, go to Robert go to Robert Cecil, offer him a grand hmm. <laughs> um, to say... Definitely, that, definitely not a bribe, guys. <laughs> yeah, to say that it was all a misunderstanding hmm. uh, and to get a pardon from the king. Hmm. 
but not you will, I, I note not to the servant. <laughs> the servant gets nothing in this. The servant, the servant is dead. I thought you got stabbed in the arm. Oh, oh, sorry, I didn't mention, did I? Yeah, he he lingered for two and a half weeks before finally succumbing to what I'm guessing was sepsis. Jesus Christ. Mm. <laughs> the lingering oh death, which meant no, but he, it meant he got to experience the full gamut of um, you know medicine, sweating, shakes, <laughs> medicine in mm. 1610, which I'm sure yeah, was drink, great. Drink this, drink this urine. What will that do? I don't know. I just tell everyone to do. It. <laughs> we we see who does. <laughs> You passed the first test. Now eat this poo. <laughs> so, Anthony, guy only tangentially linked to this entire shitstorm of a family, mm-hmm. he got to work and things started badly. <laughs> I like, like Thomas would. He walks in, all right, Earl of Cecil, bang, punch in the mouth. Well, the Earl of Salisbury uh, told Anthony that the king had already said that his son-in-law, the Earl of Montgomery, could have all of Thomas's lands and titles if he was found guilty of murder. But I thought Thomas didn't have any lands. Oh no, and he he had some. He just wasn't going to get his dad's. Uh, so basically, ability so much. You know? <laughs> basically, so <laughs> you, you come in at the start. This guy's a total failure, unwanted by his family. Yes, he had some lands and titles, but a total failure, unwanted by his <laughs> Jesus Christ. Even the worst screw ups are fine. I, I hate the nobility so much. Yeah. Continue. Well, Anthony. He he offered the Earl the £1,000 anyway, uh, mm. and it was understandably rejected because it was nowhere near the the <laughs> lifetime value of the lands that, that they were going to get. Uh, right. Time was pressing. Mm. The Earl of Cumberland, who didn't like Thomas, had already <laughs> made his mind up about Thomas's guilt, saying he killed the man in so foul a manner that it must be found willful murder. Right. Uh, the Earl of Cumberland was the man in charge of scheduling the trial. <laughs> Like we need a word for like super privilege. <laughs> so the guy who's arranging his trial has already decided that he he was committing a murder. When we say arrange foul. the trial, we don't just mean like you know renting a room to serve as a court. We mean like finding a judge and so on. Yeah, he he was the person in charge of getting everybody there. Jesus, and basically running running the uh, the courts for that session. <laughs> Um, and he was getting ready to run those calls for that session. So Anthony, he travelled to Royston to talk to the king's favourite advisor, Robert mm. Carr. The Good king, old Bobby C. Yeah, the king had first met Carr when he was competing at the tilts. Carr fell. They from still him. did tilts. Yeah, yeah, of course in they that did. Time. I thought I, I thought that was oh, fair enough. That's interesting. Carr fell from his horse and broke his leg, but for some reason this endeared him to the king, who took personal <laughs> charge of his care, teaching him Latin while he healed. You, you've really, I suppose, something that I always forget is that people must have been like so incredibly bored mm. back in the old days. Like, like I get bored now, and I've got like Netflix on my phone and computer games like that I can stream out of thin air into in front of me. Like, there's so many different things I can do, and I still get bored now. They had. Like nothing to do. <laughs> like, he really, like maybe the king saw a guy falling off a horse and breaking his leg. I was like, this is the best thing I've seen in fifteen straight years. <laughs> like, like, and he only saw it once. It wasn't even repeatable. He couldn't like rewind it on a YouTube clip. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's like football in the groin. Remember that Simpsons episode? Oh yeah, yeah. But instead of like seeing it multiple times over, he saw it once and was just like. Well, you know, reacted like Homer Simpson, basically. <laughs> well, either way, I mean, he healed him. 
he healed him. He was there while he healed. He <laughs> didn't got a bit lay divine, on hands. You've got, you got a bit divine right of kings there. <laughs> he then made Carr a knight because when the only sort of battle prowess you've seen from someone is them being knocked off a horse and immediately breaking a major limb. Hmm. He's knight material. To be honest, like he must have been quite tough because falling off a horse and breaking a leg in a world where being stabbed in the arm kills you from sepsis yeah. is like, you know... I'd expect you more. Like, I'd have expected him to die from having a broken leg from a horse injury. Yeah, they come out with a bolt gun like they do with horses now at the Grand <laughs> National. Like, I'm sorry, car. <laughs> and the horse and rider are being shot. <laughs> well, well, we should, we As is tradition, <laughs> we should be very happy that Car wasn't shot because he actually managed to convince the king to grant a pardon. The only should wrinkle. Should be happy about that though. <laughs> the only wrinkle in it was the king said he'd grant a pardon for manslaughter, but not for murder. So he had to get convicted, but only of manslaughter. Yeah. The other slight wrinkle was it was February 1612, and the bond for £1,000 had lapsed, so he could no longer offer the money for the pardon. (laughs) But that was fine, because Carr had decided that the price for the pardon would be £1,200. Right. And Anthony Lampley, in a very trusting move decided that he'd enter into that bond oh, on wow. the spot. On, in, under his name and then under like go his back, name. Yeah. Go back to his brother in law's in laws to get the money back. Yeah, so oh. he he did it, but then he had to go all the way to Carlisle from <laughs> London to get security for himself from the Braithwaites. So he's really going the extra mile for these guys. For his mm. brother's new new married into family, he is yeah. really putting himself out there. Is is he part of a minor noble family as well? This guy. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't right. need to do any of this. He has his own business interests. He has his own life. Jesus. Luckily for Anthony, on the third of July, Dorothy and Richard agreed mm. to three bonds to pay off the one thousand two hundred on condition of Lampley getting the pardon and informing them as soon as possible. Dorothy also advanced Anthony one hundred and twenty quid pounds. Uh, 120 quid pounds? Quid uh, pounds. 120 quid pounds. It's what they used to use uh, for travelling expenses. It wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if there was an extra currency inserted between the, the sovereign and the pound or whatever. So this 120 pounds was mm-hmm. the first money that Anthony had seen for all of his efforts over the past nine months. So he'd been mm. working to try and get a pardon for his brother's brother-in-law. Yeah, see, for nine is... months, and he'd only now been given 120 quid. Yeah, I'm looping back around to people being dead bored. Mm. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I've got business interest. What is it? Shipping to South America. Fantastic. I do nothing for nine months. Uh, but... <laughs> I'm really bored. Well, you, you want to ride to Carlisle? Yeah, I'll ride to Carlisle. <laughs> nothing else going on. Well, Anthony, he was almost at the end of this adventure because all he had to do was go back to London, collect the agreed pardon, and he could go back to his normal life. Right. He returned to London and found the king had left. <laughs> to, to where? Well, this he, is Jimmy the Sixth and First, isn't it? Yeah, he had to make. Well, the king He's probably gone off hunting. Witches, yeah. yeah. Well, gone off, gone off hunting. Uh, he had to make <laughs> another trip to chase the royal court to Newmarket. Um, but his persistence paid off, and finally, on the twentieth of February, sixteen thirteen, a full sixteen months after he'd started, mm. he got the pardon from the king. Mm-hmm. So well done him. Had the Duke of Cumberland had his trial and executed this guy in the meantime, I feel like that might be where this is going. Well, for one reason or another, the pardon was no longer needed. 
So Thomas had been tried in August 1612 for murder. Right. But by arguing chance medley uh, and that Patrick Manning had willfully not attempted to take care of the wound on his arm, (laughs) willfully and with malice of forethought, had let the wound fester, my lud. (laughs) Top, top lawyering. Yeah, he was able to avoid a murder charge and instead he was charged with manslaughter. Right. This was still a felony, though, and could be punishable by death. So, to be on the safe side, Thomas invoked the benefit of the clergy and read the neck verse. I don't know what that means. Okay, so he got up and he said the following words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And that's verse 1 of Psalm 51. Right. He was then branded with a thumb, uh, on his thumb, with an F for felon, and he was mm. released. Because the benefit of the clergy meant that you basically got a do-over on any um, capital offence. What? Forever? Anyone could do this? Um, anyone who could prove they were a member of the clergy. Was he a member of the clergy? No, but... Uh, <laughs> the, right. <laughs> the test... To see if you were a member of the, uh, uh, you know, if you were a member of the clergy, was you would be able to read the verse. So from a ba- Bible, based on the fact that he could read, because he was rich enough to have been schooled oh to the point God. where he could read, he got a do-over. Yeah, I'm, I'm looping back around to I hate the nobility. Well, don't worry, because the benefit of the clergy was eventually abolished mm. in 1827. Jesus, and it like, like, is this one of those like? A man from Chester can shoot a Welshman with a crossbow on Thursdays, kind of thing, like technically legal but not actually enforceable, or is that actually like carried it was, on? Being it was a used. Thing? It was used less and less, um, right. and yeah, it w- by the time it was abolished, it hadn't been used for a while, so it was <laughs> just that, sort as, of tidying up the statute got book. less stabby. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was it was just amazing that you know he knew he had this in his back pocket the entire time. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's like. Um, if you've got it's just a Mastercard, isn't it? You, you, you've only got one, so you save it until like the, the absolute last need. But it's there. Jeez. And Thomas Braithwaite, once he'd been released, had actually gone to see Anthony Lampley to thank him for all his efforts to get the pardon, and said that he would give him a hundred pounds for the trouble he went to. Crucially, though, at that point, he did not tell Anthony to stop seeking the pardon. So he he'd been released. Right. He knew he didn't need it. This was in yeah. London, you know. He'd gone down to London to find Anthony, thanked yeah. him, and then watched Anthony ride off towards Newhampton. Chasing the king's Chasing the party. king, knowing it didn't need to happen. <laughs> the other Braithwaite's, they also forgot to contact Anthony to tell him to stop seeking the pardon, which is why he continued working tirelessly into February of the following year. Jesus, that's what, another six months? <laughs> so they... <laughs> What a bunch of jackasses. So he turned up to Carlisle after Thomas had been home for a good while uh, and he presented the Braithwaite's with the pardon. Mm -hmm. They took a quick look at it and then promptly demanded the bonds for the £1,200 be returned. What? Well, they said, we we don't need this anymore. Therefore, we want the money back that we paid for it. And he's given the money to the king. He's given the money to the king, obviously. 
So he's paid the king one one thousand two hundred for a pardon they didn't even want, and now they now they want to stiff him on it. Yeah, having had multiple opportunities to tell him, Lampley was already obviously bound to pay the money, so he immediately launched a lawsuit to force the Braithwaite's to honour the bonds and pay the money. This is like a really, 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 really high stakes episode of Frasier now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it started with Dorothy Braithwaite, the mother, the matriarch, being arrested. But the Braithwaites decided to countersue. For what? (laughs) I don't know. Dragging their heels at every stage so that the case continued on into uh, 1614. They are the Trumps. They're the Trumps of the 1600s. (laughs) It's going on and on. Anthony's been neglecting his own business affairs for a couple of years. He's getting short of cash. So he contacted Thomas to ask for Mm. the 100 quid that he'd been promised. Mm Mm-hmm. Thomas refused Wait, to pay. So he, he asked the people who were suing him that, and that he was No, suing... no, he was suing Richard and Dorothy. Thomas right. Thomas hadn't promised any money to anyone except this £100, which he asked right. for. Right, okay. Uh, Still, like, it's a bold move. <laughs> you're, you're suing and being sued by this guy's brother and mother. Mm. <laughs> you want some money off him. Well, Thomas I mean, promised him the 100 quid, didn't he? Yeah. Does honour mean nothing to you people? <laughs> it meant nothing to Thomas because he refused to pay, so Anthony sued him as well. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and even even if he recovered all the money from the three Braithwaites he was suing, mm. Anthony would still be £20 out of pocket, as the £120 he had been given was part of the £1,200 and not additional to it. Dorothy hadn't mentioned that at the point where she'd given it to him. Jesus. He had spent a year and a half of his life paid all of his own expenses and travelled over 4,000 miles in order to gain a pardon that had never been needed in the first place. (laughs) At all. (laughs) So, it turned out the Braithwaite brothers weren't paying as they didn't have the money. Dorothy was still in charge of their allowances and apparently didn't think it appropriate to give them any more than she was obligated to, even to honour their debts. This meant that Richard, who hadn't needed to get involved at any point, mm. ended up in debtor's prison. And, being a poet... Never got out. <laughs> well, he sought help from his godfather, Sergeant Richard Hutton. But he did so by the medium of verse. <laughs> I hope this goes to a place where Richard Hutton reads it and goes, I would help you, but this poetry is terrible. <laughs> well, Richard Hutton one day would have opened the post and he would have seen this. Pray, sir... At least, if the courtier's needs will crave it, let him pursue such where he has hope to have it. For me there is none, but this his wit God wot, to sue his bond where nothing's to be got. So, that makes it clear. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what the guy wants. <laughs> oh, well, it, took his, it took his godfather a while to decipher it, um, because... In 1617, he wrote another poem to a friend of his with the lines... Hold hold on one second. I've just figured out that this guy is the 16th century Riddler. (laughs) His problem was there was no 16th century Batman and no one cared. (laughs) he He didn't stop doing it in verse because he wrote another poem to a friend with the lines, For the court where my suit depending sits hath forced me to write in former pauperis. He's he's a brilliant poet. At least yeah, we can agree on that. Well, I mean, brilliant poet of the sort of um, who's that bloke from Scotland who's famously like the worst poet of all time? 
did that did that poem about the uh, railway bridge on the river uh, <sighs> I know the one you're talking about beautiful railway bridge of the silvery tay <laughs> Who's uh, like? I'm gonna have to get that poem up now. You will have to Google it. Um, so, worst poet <laughs> in history, William McGonagall. There we go. Yeah, he he won notoriety as an extremely bad poet who so. exhibited no recognition of or concern for opinions <laughs> of his work. <laughs> he said, "I based it all on Richard Braithwaite." <laughs> uh, so. It took his godfather about three years to mm. decipher what he was asking for. Yeah. Because it took <laughs> three years. it took till sixteen nineteen before he settled the debt, making Richard a free man. Right, so can I just loop back to the three years thing? It, mm. Further evidence for my everyone was as bored as hell theory. Like in the modern world, you wouldn't spend like you, you get a weird poem, even if it is signed from your godson, you'd be like all right, and maybe you'd spend a couple of days thinking about it, and then you'd either text him and go, what the hell is this? Or you'd just throw it away. <laughs> Nobody's spending three years puzzling out, you know, low-level nonsense. What, what are you asking for? <laughs> People were bored as hell. Like, that that kept him amused and occupied in his spare time for three years. I, I wouldn't even give it three minutes. <laughs> well, Richard, um, he celebrated his yeah. new freedom. With another poem. A collection of poems oh, entitled. Who's publishing this crap? <laughs> no, they were entitled, and I think this is lovely, "A New Spring," because he's getting a chance to begin again. <laughs> he shouldn't have. He really, really shouldn't have. Well, let's not forget, he spent three years, hmm. three years in prison hmm. after promising money he never had to pay for a pardon. There was never one. His brother didn't need. <laughs> his brother, uh, who let's remember, was actually found guilty of killing a man. Yeah, and only he got was off found guilty. He could read. He only <laughs> spent eleven months in jail, waiting Wait. his trial. That was it. <gasps> so, <laughs> the guy who killed someone did less time than his brother, who killed nobody. His only real crime was writing shitty poetry. I mean. It's, it's it's up there with mimery, isn't it, you know? <laughs> to add insult to injury, Thomas was knighted by the king in 1616 while <laughs> Richard was still in debtor's prison. So fresh off his murder charge yeah. and all that being sorted, the king immediately knighted him. Yep, Thomas Braithwaite, Donald Trump of the 1600s, 100%. Yeah. Thomas would also go down in history as the case of the £100 he owed to Anthony enshrined in law that a promise of payment for an action after the fact could still be considered an enforceable contract. Oh, so he got a tort. Yes. Nice. However, in the summaries that law students today read, there is no mention of Richard. So it's all about Thomas Braithwaite and Anthony Braithwaite. No mention of Richard. It wasn't Anthony Braithwaite, was it? It was Anthony... Uh, Anthony Lampley, yeah. Did he ever get his money? Or any part of his money? He got his money. But oh, by getting all of his money, he was still 20 quid down on the entire deal. Yeah, but like, I feel like £20 is an appropriate penalty to pay for him for being... What, for like, being helpful? For wanting to be a nice person? Yeah, for, for trusting I, 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 that when people said they need a pardon from the king, they actually need... It's not the kind of thing you just throw out there randomly, for, for being, is it? For, for being bored enough, I mean, honest to God. For being bored enough that he's going to waste... 
16-ish months of his life. You're saying this was the Jacobean equivalent of saying, can you go down the shop and get me some tartan paint? (laughs) Just no. Let's shit with the guy. not, Not initially, but like after a while, he should have been like, you know what? <laughs> I've done everything that can reasonably be expected of a brother's brother-in-law. <laughs> who's, who's what can reasonably be expected of a brother's brother-in-law? That's that's my no, question. Exactly. He's not even that close to the family. He's done everything that like he's done, arguably far more than could be reasonably expected of a brother's brother-in-law. He's, he's gone several thousand miles out of his way in the first eight months. Several thousand miles and a couple of hundred quid out of his way. At that point, he should have gone. Do you know what? I'm really sorry. I've gone as far as I can with this. I've got my own stuff to do. But he didn't because he was really bored. Well, <laughs> he could. I mean, this story would not really have changed that much Yeah. if he'd have just, when, when his brother suggested, do you mind helping my wife's family out, just gone, no. You know, <laughs> oh, oh if, God, in I fact, would. you could argue that things would have gone better for everyone because... Regardless of what he did, Thomas was still going to end up being branded on his thumb and sent on his way. And Richard wouldn't have ended up in debtor's prison writing terrible poetry to try and riddle himself out of this. <laughs> riddle me this, Godfather. What, what starts with treasure and doesn't rhyme with canoe? That's right, money. <laughs> well, um, there was a little bit of justice. Oh, well, I say justice. <laughs> the world realigned... They realised oh. that Thomas couldn't get away with everything scot-free. Mm. And he went mad in 1620, <laughs> dying three years later. So he only got to enjoy his knighthood for four years. And then he went mad and died. Do you enjoy a knighthood? What do you do with it? You just go around forcing people to call you sir. Mm, good I, luck. I mean, if I, if I had a knighthood, I would definitely insist that everybody call me sir Heathcote at all good, times. Good luck with that. Also, it does, it's not Sir Heathcote, it would be Sir Joseph. Of Heathcote? No, just be, no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you got this. I don't know how knighthoods really work. <laughs> if you got a knighthood... Um, it would be Sir Joseph. What, no, it depends what type of... Yeah, like it's your first name. It depends what type of knighthood you get, because there are order knighthoods, and then there's the... Um, oh, I want the Order of the Garter. That's the highest one. That's the top one. Yeah, yeah I want but, the Garter. It, there's almost no chance they only give out like one every year. Um, oh, if that. No, um, looking back through history, they were giving them out like tic tacs for the longest yeah, I know, time. I know, but nowadays they only give out one per year. Like <sighs> most most knighthoods, and usually it's like in inner cronies from the civil service who know all the. The right fact people. that you're saying it's more rare just makes me want it more. Yeah, well, I mean, you could go for one of the lower orders, but no one cares about them because I, I can't even name them. I only know the garter. Yeah, but the the one that most people get is knight commander of the British Empire, which technically isn't a real knighthood because you're not joining any knightly order Mm. it's a special one that's only given in britain and has no you know how there's heraldic college yeah there's there's nothing there's nothing linked to it yeah yeah it's it's not it's not officially recognized by the heraldic colleges even though you can get a, a coat of arms off the back of having one so like you know sir alex ferguson and sir kenny dalgleish those titles are awarded as a courtesy by the monarch, and we have to use them because the monarch is technically our liege lord. Mm. So if they say we have to call them sir, we have to call them sir. But if we were, say, citizens of Germany under the old Prussian royal family, we wouldn't have to call them sir because why would you? They're not part of a knightly order that we recognise. 
I know way too much about this. Don't ask me how. I, I don't even know. I must have read it at some point. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still. All I'm getting from this is go for the garter. That's that's the, the go, one go for the in life. Go for the garter. It's generally good advice. So do you want to, Do you want to know what happened to Richard? Oh yes, I do very much so. So he lived until 1673, continuing. Oh, wow, that's, that's a long life. Yeah, continuing to write poetry, most notably <laughs> a book in English and Latin called "Drunken Barnaby's Four Journeys to the North of England." <laughs> So he was a northerner who slagged off northerners for the benefit of southerners. I would say he's a class traitor, but yeah, he was already not, that's nobility. Not, that's not a class traitor, mate. That's like, what, what's the cultural equivalent of Uncle Tom? <laughs> <laughs> if you're interested, you can read it in full at archive.org. No, I've, I've heard enough of his poetry to last an entire lifetime. Oh, this is this is a long, uh, this is long uh, sort of prose form poetry. It's beautiful. Oh so it's it's like it's it's more rhyme of the ancient mariner crap. Yes, Ugh. rhyme of the ancient mariner crap is exactly how it was described. Everybody acts like rhyme of the ancient mariner is a top level English thing. It's absolute nonsense. Although oh. I did see mooted on the internet the other day that if you made um, if you made the ancient mariner gay, you could call it the rhyme of the fabulous mariner. Oh, <laughs> and that and that changes everything and makes it brilliant. <laughs> so, do you want to know what happened to Anthony? Oh, yes, go on. I hope you made loads of money. Well, he'd ended up, as we know, down by £20. Pounds. Mm-hmm. And when his brother died, mm-hmm. there was no will. Oh, so sure. he oh, ended nice. up getting into a legal battle over money with another Braithwaite, his what? brother's widow, Agnes. Oh. They finally hammered out an agreement after two years, Oof. at which time the will was found. And he had to spend another four years trying to undo all the legal wrangling that he'd just done in the preceding two years. Then he immediately died. That guy was just one of history's suckers. I don't mean losers. I use the word sucker very very precisely because he was just unlucky. Like He tried to do the right thing and just got shafted. He was a man who lived to 35 and spent at least a decade of that life just... Tied down in legal red tape. No, not arguing with people. Arguing with one family (laughs) over money they owed him. He's the Terry Gilliam's Brazil of of, uh, Stuart England. (laughs) It was just the worst poor guy. He should have just said no. And that's that's the moral that I want you to take away from this. Just say no. tangentially related family members ask you for a favour, you are... Just say no to them. Unless yeah. unless they literally live under your roof, you are... You know, you don't have to give them a, a mm. lift. You don't have to, you know, <laughs> vouch for them. Yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to do anything. Give, give them an alibi. <laughs> oh, God, no, don't do that. You, you know, you don't have to feed them if they're hungry. Clothe them if they're naked. Yeah, if you see them being beaten up on the street, you, you just walk by. You, you don't get involved. <laughs> Welcome back. Yeah, humming that so that they know <laughs> that you have acknowledged the scene. That you've time travelled here from the mid 80s. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That is our first remotely done episode. Mm. And we'll see how that comes out in the edit. But I think, I think it'll be fine. In fact, um, to, to sort of wrap it all up, I would say that those Braithwaites were the Trump family of Northern England in that 
they didn't pay any of their legal fees and tried to use money and time and annoyance to get out of paying it, which if you look it up, is exactly how Donald Trump deals with his legal fees, which is why one of the reasons why he's so terrified of not being president anymore, because uh, he can't get any top law firms to work for him because he owes most of the money, and the ones that he doesn't owe money are like, well, you owe all of our competitors lots of money, so, so no, we're not taking you on credit. <laughs> Actually, exciting... This episode is due to come out two days after the inauguration. Oh, right. So possibly this is happening while there's a civil war on. Yeah. So either A, there's three options. Either A, it all went without a hitch. Yay, Joe Biden. B, there's a civil war. Or C, President Trump. I mean, that's not a realistic option. It's civil war or Joe Biden. It's it's exciting. yeah, it is exciting in in terms of, oh my God, I can't believe the world might end because America elected a man who looks like he snorts Cheetos. I think, I think just to be on the safe side, if you just pause for a second, we'll just do an alternate ending and I can okay. just splice in the one that works. So, um, Congratulations, Overlord Trump. Uh, we are your loyal subjects and we hope your huge reign continues for a thousand yeah. years. And Consistently Eccentric will now be switching to being an American history podcast. Um, in honour of your greatness. And we'll call it Consistently Awesome and we'll only ever talk about people who have... Um, Given you money. And made cheeseburgers. Yes. Or, or and cooked I, well-done steak and covered it in ketchup, you absolute philistine. In fact, if you send us a list of people that you'd like us to say are great, we would be happy to do so. And even if it's just your name, like a hundred times over, written in crayon, that's fine. And now, now, we, now we should probably do a Joe Biden one. Um, dear God, thanks. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's been awful pretending like your country's not gone insane. Please fix it. Love what I do. Don't ever give me any bad feedback, ever. <laughs> I'm not strong enough. <laughs> Maybe in a few more years. But in the meantime, just give me money and praise. Oh, money would be good. <laughs>